is, what is I'm this? gonna open Demolition Invader. <laughs> I just wanna open them, play with their little hats, little masks, and the belts. And like Crush can turn on him, Invader runs in. Crush has got a new partner! You are 40 years old. Oh, <laughs> man. Why you gotta put it on me like that for? <coughs> Shit. <coughs> oh, that's going to be the intro. <laughs> All right. All right. Episode 17. Hey, thank you guys for listening to Middle-Aged and Mediocre. I'm Cash. I'm 40. And your name is... <laughs> oh, Joel. <laughs> Joel. That's yes. 40-year-old Joel over there. Uh, he's been talking for 20 minutes now about opening one of my toys. Yeah. They're, they're called action figures, actually. But... <laughs> Fucking wrestlers, man. But man, he's he's eyeballing it hard tonight. Demolition, they got the masks. Yeah, it's a three-pack. Yep. I had it at one point, and I traded it to you for the... Uh, Bebop and Rocksteady Pops. Yeah, that's right. Amongst other things. Yeah, we're right. adults, man. Yeah. And we're talking about <laughs> trading toys. You see that sweet-ass Notorious B.I.G.? Yeah, I did. Pop? It's all Pre-ordered little, that. Little time. Yeah. Was yeah. Normal price? Was it a little it more? It was 15 bucks. That's not bad. But I guess, like, uh, so, like, you're not actually getting an album or anything. Yeah, you just get the pop. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, I thought, like, when I first saw it, I thought it was, like, a vinyl... Oh, record okay. with the, and I was like, that's cool. fucking cool. Yeah. Then when I saw the price was fifteen, You're like, eh. I was like, oh, that's still cool. But... Yeah, you can get the vinyl separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, then it's like forty. Yep. So it was a little more expensive. Whatever, man. I just whatever. you know put it on wax. Still, still talking about pop vinyls. Yep. in 2020. <laughs> I was <laughs> out of the game for a long time. Yeah, I'm pretty much out of the game. I, I got, don't buy any new ones. What did I get? I got like Rob Zombie their day because Amazon had it for like three dollars. That's about so, right for Rob I was, like, Zombie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Dig through the ditches. Burn through the witches. <laughs> Dracula. Pickup truck? What is it? What? I don't know. Pick up Dracula in your pickup truck. My pickup truck! That's not it. <laughs> no, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rob Zombie, if you're listening to this, man, you don't like fuck Rob you Zombie? for Halloween 2. I like Rob Zombie. I don't like Halloween 2. No, I don't like I don't like uh, his Halloween movies. Uh, the first one I, I, I liked. Yeah, it, I didn't. I didn't hate it. It was too much of like, let's... let's... There's, there's like a string of movies right there where they tried to like... Give too much backstory. Yeah, I like they want you to care about Michael Myers. Like, no, just man. make Michael Myers a fucking killing yeah. machine, man. I don't want to feel That's bad. That's the whole for point. Him. I like some of the scenes in it, but yeah, I get that part. I don't really. Yeah, I don't remember that well. But, Let's watch it real quick. Okay, we'll be right back, guys. Right. We're gonna watch <laughs> Rob Zombie's Halloween remake <laughs> and play with demolition. And we're back. <laughs> Movie of the year, episode uh, seventeen. Yeah, we're here with episode seventeen. Last week. We brought you, Joel, uh, Joel brought you the story of Armin Muse. Yep, and Bernie. It was a true love. Uh, <laughs> sausage fest. Sausage fest. Talk about a sausage yeah. fest. Yeah. And I'd like to apologize to our listeners. It was a whole episode about eating dick. We didn't say pee hole once. Yeah, I don't We really know. dropped the balls there. We did. <laughs> we really did. I mean, there was a lot of points where we could have yeah. really dove into a pee hole. We need to re-edit that episode. We just had like 74 pee holes. For all you know, there was subtle pee holes. You just subliminal, <laughs> play it backwards. Subliminal pee holes. You guys play that episode backwards. It's all pee hole. Our new band, by the way, is called Subliminal Pee Holes. <laughs> Good. 
But, uh, yeah, so that, uh, you can go back and listen to that episode, uh, episode 16, Meet Cute. Meet Cute. Yeah, it's the Armin Muse love story. I liked it. So, it was a good episode. It was my favorite episode we've done so far. I remember it. And now it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yep. Set the bar pretty high. Yeah. So, uh, that one got a little, you know, that one was uh, a tale of cannibals. Yep. And... Uh, cutting off penises. Yep. And trying to eat the penises. We learned that you can't bite through a penis. I mean, I think we already knew that. I mean, that. Armin couldn't. Armin learned. Yeah. In the back then. What did you ever see the? Was it Oz where it's like, if you put that in my mouth, I'll bite down and. Oh no, Shawshank Redemption. That's mm, how yeah. Andy Andy Dufresne. Yeah. Got out of it because he said he would bite down and then. They still kept... beat the shit out of him. Oh yeah. And I think it was still implied that he. Uh... He just didn't get anything in the mouth. I think he still did. He took it in the. I mean, they did the they did the pan out on the camera, yeah. and I think he. I don't think he, he took was on his knees, in the mouth. man. Oh yeah. And they were in front of him, and they were beating the shit out of him. Man, he talked all that talk about biting it. Yeah, he can say what he it. wants, but they punch <laughs> you in the jaw. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Like, all right. Andy Dufresne sucked a dick. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and then he crawled through a football field worth of sewer. Andy Dufresne was my best friend. <laughs> I can't do a Morgan Freeman at all. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we should stop. I should have even tried. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what I'm thinking. Uh, I can't. I can barely do any impressions, let yeah. alone an 80 year old black man. <laughs> I don't see. Yeah. Oh, what the fuck is my phone? Damn. What are we taking a look at, phone? All right. Whoa. The phone's ready for episode 17. That's about enough it, of that shit. Let's take a look at you doing a Morgan Freeman impersonation. I like when my phone talks to me. I don't like it when my phone talks. That's awful, too. <laughs> I can't do, I don't even know what I'm trying to do. Let's get on with the story today. <laughs> episode 17. Uh, so, Joel. Yes, sir. I'm assuming you uh, flew over here tonight <laughs> using your jetpack. I did. I, I mean, uh, retired my helicopter after Kobe. R.I.P. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 2020, so of course we all zip around everywhere on jetpacks now. Yeah, common knowledge. Sure. Uh, the Jetsons was a documentary from the future, and the future is now. Rosie, the robotic maid. Yeah, I mean, sure. we don't have jetpacks actually. No. Uh, or I did see cars. a video on Facebook of a jetpack, but I think you like you have to be on water to do it because it's like propelled by the water or something. Oh, we're gonna get into it. Okay. Uh, between Roombas and sex dolls, we do have access. To Rosie the Robot, basically, though. Yeah. And uh, although the Jetsons didn't get a lot right, I think we can all still agree that it would be pretty badass if we all had our own personal jetpacks. Oh, yeah. I mean, that'd be pretty awesome, right? Sure. Uh, For three friends, an obsession with jetpacks would end in murder and violence. This is the story of the jetpack murder. The jetpack murder. The jetpack murder. I'm kind of glad I never got into jetpacks now. I didn't know that jetpack life could was lead like to that. such. Uh, <laughs> jetpack life's a dangerous man, life, man. Yeah, yeah. Careful what you sign up for. Uh, science fiction action heroes like Buck Rogers and Commando Cody brought the rocket belt into the public eye, and movies and TV shows like Thunderball, uh, which was a James Bond film, uh, Lost in Space, The A Team, Minority Report, and The Rocketeer, the have, Rocketeer. Kept, have kept jetpacks in the public eye. Yeah, you remember yeah. The Rocketeer? And eight-year-old boys have kept jetpacks in the Rocketeer yeah, in yeah. the public eye. Yeah, I remember The Rocketeer. It was like, I remember like wanting to see it really bad, and I saw it, and it just was meh. Yeah, I don't know if I ever actually like watched all of it. Mm, I tried, because I, mean, I, I, I was, I was like hype. a little kid. And I was, yeah, it had, it had a, a lot ton of hype behind it. I don't yeah. know which uh, fast food place had the... 
rights to, but I just remember it was like it was everywhere. It was a huge marketing campaign, and, and they opened up and just yeah, kinda, it was just uh, yeah, that kind of failed. Seems like anytime they try to like uh, revive a movie from like the like a fifties yeah. story or something like that, it's never not like that kind of like uh, like if it's just a good story, it's a good story. Yeah, but, you can't make a jetpack. <laughs> the whole point of a movie, I right. don't think. Uh, it's even rumored <laughs> that the Nazis devoted uh, many resources to a project that would equip their stormtroopers with a rocket pack. Fucking Nazis. It was going to be called the uh, Himmelstürmer. Yeah. Which is, uh, they they called it, that's basically them calling it the Skystormer, but literally it's the Heavenstormer. So there was some rumors that they were uh, doing this. They were said to have actually successfully built the dual rocket machine that allowed troops to leap up to 180 feet in the air. Damn. But if so, they were never used in military action. What would you do once you're up in the air? Because then you're just 180 feet away from your enemy where you had to, like, shoot further, right. I would Unless think. You, like, yeah. I mean, to escape, maybe? Or, yeah. like, to get to a higher... I mean, to get to high ground? I'll jump up real high, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could get to high ground pretty quick. Probably dunk a lot easier. You could definitely... The Nazis Fuck. would have been great at basketball. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, they didn't have a good reputation for basketball, really, so... Dirk, is he German? He's uh, not a Nazi. <laughs> I think right, Dirk. just because... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> is he German? I don't know. <laughs> Nowitzki? I don't know. I think he... Uh... Uh, in 1952, a civilian radar technician named Thomas Moore would actually build and test the first official jetpack. Uh, Moore had actually been a traveling companion of former Nazi scientist Werner Ver- Werner von Braun, who would join the ranks of America's space program during Operation Paperclip. So you know about Operation Paperclip? I do not know about Operation Paperclip. Uh, so after the war, yeah. uh, the entire reason America got to the moon first yeah. is because we basically enlisted all of the Nazi scientists into our space program. It was called Operation Paperclip. Wow. So, yeah, we got all these fucking Nazi scientists who had participated in awful, awful things yeah. and made them a part of our space programs. Got us to the moon. Like NASA, that was basically just ran by Nazis. Wow. Yeah, so and they called it Operation Paperclip. Uh, Von Braun would even later go on to work for the Walt Disney Corporation, Jesus. designing theme park rides, <laughs> working with feature film animators, and hosting television programs. Oh, man, what yeah. a life. Yeah, goddamn Nazi. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> There's so much about World War II that is so fucking crazy from our side of things. Like, we didn't... It could be a whole episode of, like, we didn't even want to be involved. Like, I love yeah. all of the uh, propaganda that's around. I'd like a World War II episode. I just oh. watched Fury. Did, oh, did you? Yeah, I just I didn't know if you meant uh, the movie Fury or if you were fight. watching the Fury Wilder <laughs> fight. <laughs> no, I was watching the movie Fury. Okay, it was yeah. a good movie. We should do an episode about WW2. Dude, there's so much to it. We, yeah, I'm cool with that. Cool. There's so much shit to it. Uh... So it was also Von Braun who helped Thomas Moore win a $25,000 U.S. Army grant Damn, that's a lot of money for to build too. his rocket pack that he called the Jet Vest. The Jet Vest. Moore not only invented it, but he did the test flight as well. Uh, staying tethered, by, tethered to the ground by a metal frame, Moore was able to propel himself off the ground. Uh, Moore's dream would ultimately collapse when funding ran out, though. Oh. So he basically had, like, a metal box yeah. surrounding himself, then it was held to the ground, but he was able to... Do a little elevation. Yeah. In 1953... He got high. He got... And then he got high. <laughs> In 
1953, Wendell, 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 Mr. Wendell, Mr. Wendell, if you're nasty, uh, Wendell Moore was working on the X-Plane project, which was the project that produced the jet that Chuck Yeager would break the sound barrier in. All right. Sound barrier. Uh, Moore thought he could take two of the miniature rockets off the X-Plane and strap them to the back of a pilot. Jesus. <laughs> Quote, I could stick two of those on a man's back and make him fly like Buck Rogers. I, I like picture him like with a beer in his hand, like Uncle Rico maybe from Napoleon Dynamite. He's just like, I can take two of those rockets, strap them to his back. Man, you'll be cool as shit. You see them rockets? You can just get put the, them on Ted's back. Get the Nazis. Let's work on this. <laughs> yeah. uh, he called his invention the small rocket lift device. Basically, gas would be forced at high pressure through downward-facing exhaust tubes that would lift the pilot. After many test flights and adjustments, Moore achieved a stable flight uh, 15 feet above the ground in 1959. Ooh. So, like, 15 feet? I mean, you're up above, like, it's five feet above a basketball hoop. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not a small... You can jump up to the second story of a place. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. Army took notice of Wendell Moore's invention and contracted the company he worked for, uh, Bell Aerospace. It was called like Bell Aeronautics and then Bell something, but it's eventually Bell Aerospa- Aerospace to build a small rocket lift device and demonstrate its abilities. Wendell Moore was made director of the project, which had a budget of $150,000. Having ex- access to more equipment greatly improved Moore's design which he was now calling the Rocket Belt. The Rocket Belt. The Bell Rocket Belt used three tanks and two downward-facing pipes that were connected to rocket nozzles. Uh, the pilot would have handlebars for steering and hand grip controls for the throttle. So I think... Um, God damn. Like you were saying that you saw a video of like the guy on water. Yeah. Like you're, you've probably seen, everybody's probably probably seen what this design is. Yeah. Like if you just imagine a person and the handlebars kind of make like an upside down U. Yeah. And he's holding on to him and he's being, so it's like that design. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the motor ran on hydrogen peroxide, uh, which I'm kind of confused. So I, I don't know if it was hydrogen peroxide. It's uh, it said that at one point, but then it started saying um, compressed gas. Huh. So I don't know exactly what or compressed oxygen. Yeah. So, anyways, um, we don't need to get into the scientifics of it. Yeah, I'm not. I won't understand. I'm not it a anyway. Nazi scientist. You're uh, not? No. Oh. Or am I? Oh. <laughs> Over twenty. <laughs> Got my eye on you. <laughs> uh, Over twenty test flights, the team <laughs> made small changes and improvements. But on the 20th test flight, something went wrong. Uh, that flight in February of 1961, the belt got snagged on a tether, and when the tether snapped, Wendell fell eight feet to the ground, badly fracturing his kneecap. Oh. He would never fly his rocket belt Damn. again. So they never got to the 21 pilot? I've n- never listened to them. Okay. I know of them. Yeah. From Columbus. Sorry. Are they? Yeah. Mm. My niece listens to them. Mm. Mm. I think I heard like one of their songs on one of three, like a few seconds of sure it, and have. I was just like, mm, yeah. mm. Uh, over the next two years, fucking Nazi. <laughs> Bell Aerospace Nine would continue the development of the rocket belt, uh, having Hal Graham be their new test pilot. 
Graham was a test engineer. Who hey, what was... happened to the last pilot again, guys? Yeah. Oh, he yeah. fucked up. <laughs> also, so that's him in the wheelchair. Come on, strap yourself in. <laughs> they're just grabbing engineers. Like, they're not grabbing like a, a pilot or. I, mean, I don't know who you would actually like think would be best for this job. Yeah. But they're these are just the like the engineers that are. Like these are just like the nerds that are making this shit. Yeah, probably the only people that would even want to try it. A real like, pilot, probably. like I'm, I can be in a plane or a yeah, helicopter. Yeah, no, I'll or... give me that jet. Please. Yeah, trap <laughs> these three tanks. Can I have the proof of jet? What, whatever <laughs> it is to my back. Let's 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 go. Uh, Graham was a test engineer who was not a registered pilot, nor had any experience operating a machine besides a car. But he did say at Holiday Inn Express last night. Well, he was, however, a big fan of the Rocket Belt, <laughs> having grown up watching Buck Rogers and Commando Cody. You're going to notice throughout this story... These are the backyard wrestlers of scientists. Dude, what you're going to notice throughout this story is the fucking just love of jetpacks <laughs> these people all share. Like, it is... I have never once... It's really propelling them to do some uh, weird stuff. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, on his first free rocket belt flight, Graham flew for 13 seconds and covered a distance of 112 feet. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. So after 28 more uh, flights, Bell was ready to hold a public Bell Arrow, whatever. Yeah. Was ready to hold a public demonstration. The first public rocket belt flight took place on June 8th, 1961, at Fort Eustis, Virginia. Graham ascended 15 feet into the air and made a perfect landing before being mobbed by the press. Graham and the rocket belt were a hit. The public fucking loved it. And Graham ended up making 83 untethered rocket belt flights before his career came to an end in 1962. During a demonstration at Cape Canaveral, Graham fell 22 feet, landed on his head, and was knocked unconscious. He decided to get out of the rock belt game. <laughs> Getting too old for this shit, kid. Uh, yeah, there seems to be a similar thread of uh, falling. They don't walk away. <laughs> you kind of you have a falling out. Yes, you have a falling down. <laughs> Bell Aerospace continued to have technicians. Uh, continued to have technicians conduct the flights, but they wanted to prove to the U.S. Army that the belt could be piloted by a soldier with minimal training. Because this is the whole point of their thing. Is they're going to sell this to the U.S. Army. Yeah. They're going to make a shitload of money the off of it. infantry and... But for the Army to get it, yeah, you have to be able to give it to any of the troops. Yeah. And they have to be able to just take off and use it. Uh, so Bell Aerospace found an average 19-year-old kid named William P. Souter, who was about to become the most famous rocket belt pilot in the world. Wendell, out, kid. Wendell Moore, uh, the guy that was flying it, would often take, and had worked on it, he would often take the rocket belt home with him, uh, and one day it caught the attention of his 19-year-old neighbor, Bill Souter. Bill was about to drop out of college and join the Army, but Moore had other plans for the young man, asking him if he wanted to have a job. (laughs) The contract between Bell Aerospace and the U.S. Army simply stated that Bell had to take an average young man and prove that he could be trained to pilot the rocket belt. Moore felt Bill was perfect for the job. Bill Souter was officially hired on the 26th of March, 1964. Souter mastered the rocket belt after four months of training. Wow. Uh, even with the proof that an average young man could be trained to pilot the machine, it was expensive to run, and flight times and distances were extremely short. 
So the U.S. Army started limiting but their But it's interests, really cool. But it's pretty badass. It's pretty fucking cool. Like, you'll go, like, 12 feet in the air. Yeah. And then... You can't jump that I mean, high without a jetpack. And then you usually fall. Try it. Right. <laughs> yeah, good luck, Army. Like, sure, it doesn't work very well. It's expensive. It's dangerous. But it looks fucking rad. Well, like, I mean, maybe that would be... Like, if you're not the U.S. Army and you're fighting us... And you, and see, you that. see a bunch of fucking dudes... Jumping 15, 20 feet in the air. That's G.I. Joe shit. I mean, I guess that might be, like, something that would make them go, oh, what the fuck? But, yeah, then, like you said, like, where really are we fighting that we're going to need these? Yeah, you have planes, you have... Yeah. You're just just now making yourself a target in the air. It's just dudes swinging their dicks, okay? (laughs) And they're like, like, what if I could swing my dick from 15 feet in the air with three tanks of fucking fuel strapped to me? Yeah. You know? Yeah, because I feel like if you just, like, propel yourself into the air, yeah. you're just making yourself an easier target. <laughs> like, shoot that guy. Yeah. Like, just shoot the tank and you're dead. Yeah, or that. Yeah. Yeah, so this is probably a good thing that... Uh, I'm glad it didn't take off. <laughs> I heard you use that one once. Josh is shaking his head violently, no. <laughs> I just hurt my neck shaking my head. <laughs> uh, Bell Aerospace decided to look into entertainment avenues to garner funding. Rocket Belt exhibitions became a part of state fairs and other outdoor events. Suter traveled the world. Of course, piloting. of course it did. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a state fair thing. <laughs> Hurry up, Martha! We're going to miss the goddamn jetpack. Man's going to fly. <laughs> Suter traveled the world piloting the Rocket Belt while Wendell Moore continued working on designs. Moore even developed the Bell Jet Belt using jet engines instead of rocket engines. <laughs> And his calculation, calculations suggested the new belt could reach speeds of 85 miles an hour. Jesus. And run for up to 25 minutes. Can you imagine just flying <laughs> through the air? No. 85 miles an hour. You can hit a bird and you're done. Yeah. Or like, I'm pretty sure even like a big bug yeah. would probably fucking... At least knock you off I don't know how fast you're going. Well, even on a motorcycle, you're not going. You're 85, still, You're still going the speed limit. Yeah. So... Unless you're an animal. Right, unless you're a savage. <laughs> uh, or a criminal. <laughs> During, well, I mean, if you, you're breaking the law if yeah. you're going to speed limit. During the first test flight in 1969, the pilot of the jet belt reached 25 feet above the ground in speeds of 30 miles an hour. So that's still pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. Like, 25 feet in the goddamn air? No, thank you. I wouldn't want to do that. Fuck no. I don't want to go 10 feet in the air. No. Yeah. Uh, a month later, Wendell Moore died of a heart attack at the age of 51, and Damn. the Bell Rocket Belt would never fly again. Before giving up his employment with Bell, Bill Suter flew the Rocket Belt in the Bond film Thunderball as one of the two stuntmen who piloted the machine. Uh, it was shot in 1965, but would, be, but would be preserved on film forever. So this was... Uh, when did, yeah, this was, that was four years before Wendell Moore died. Okay. So he used it in the Bond movie. Yeah. So, and that was the Bell, Rocket Bell. So, uh, on the day Suter, uh, left Bell Aerospace, or he had made 120 rocket flights. Wow. Rocket Belt flights altogether. On the day Bill Suter left Bell Aerospace, someone handed him a photo of a man named Nelson Tyler who was a film engineer engineer, and who had built his own belt 
at a cost of $15,000. He had ran 70 test flights, but always ran into problems. Suter had recognized Tyler from a meeting at Disneyland and contacted him. Uh, He had been doing like a uh, stunt show there, Uh like a little exhibition show. And he remembered this Nelson Tyler is like just constantly pestering him, wanting pictures and all this other stuff. So he reckoned like the kid made an impression on him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Suter recognized Tyler, and then he contacted him and offered to help with the belt. Upon arriving in California, Suter began tuning up the belt uh, and making adjustments to get it working. Uh, an entertainment promoter named Clyde Balchin who had worked with Suter before, teamed up with him and Tyler to make entertainment bookings. Over the next decade and a half, the belt made 120 flights with Suter as a pilot the majority of the time. So 120 flights in 15 years? Uh, it's not really... Yeah. It's not a whole bunch, but... Especially because he had made... When he was working for Bell Aerospace, he had made 1,200 flights. Yeah. So... But those were a lot of, like, test flights and, like, a lot of little, so you don't know how long these were. Uh, But, yeah, Tyler, Nelson Tyler, uh, would you like to take a guess as to what he called his belt? Um, The rocket belt? The Tyler rocket belt. (laughs) The Tyler rocket belt. Yeah. Uh, Suter flew at an NFL Pro Bowl at the World's Fair and once accidentally flew 140 feet up into the air. Don't know if that's true. No one's ever been able to actually confirm that. Yeah. Because that's crazy. Yeah, I figured there'd be footage of that or yeah. pictures or something. Plus, accidentally. Like, that's just him drunk and bragging <laughs> to some people. Yeah, I love that. At least more Uncle Rico shit. I mean, the highest, the guy with the jet pack, like the actual jets, made it 30 feet in the air. Yeah. And that was pretty fucking crazy. So, like, for him to hit 140. Jesus. Um, while preparing for a test flight in Los Angeles, Bill Suter saw construction being done across the street for the 1984 Olympics. Suter remarked to Tyler that it would be fitting if he could end his career as a rocket man with a triumphant rocket bell flight at the Olympics. It was around this time that Suter found out that Clyde Balchkin, Balchkin had been lying about payments and insurance. Mm. Uh, mostly that there just wasn't any in- insurance. Oh. So he'd been doing all this flying of a fucking jetpack yeah. with no insurance at all. So he was not happy. Uh, he quit and moved back home to Youngstown, New York. Tyler immediately hired a stuntman named uh, Kenny, K-I-N-N-I-E, Gibson, who had been Chuck Norris's stunt double on Walker, Texas Rangers. Chuck Norris don't need no goddamn stunt double, all right? Well, Your story's that, wrong, Josh. Are you calling Kenny Gibson a liar? Oh, man. I didn't know I was going to get this heated tonight. <laughs> Chuck Norris stunt double. The uh, oh, fuck out. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. So, Kenny. If you want to leave, I <laughs> So, Kenny. Kenny and Chuck Norris. Uh, Gibson flew the belt around at demonstrations for a couple of years, but then the Olympics came knocking with an offer to Tyler and Clyde, and the two men didn't think Gibson was ready so they can, uh, contacted Bill Suter, who was hesitant, but after some res- persistence, money, Tyler and Clyde <laughs> got him to agree to fly the Tyler rocket belt one last time. Uh, Clyde also, so Bill, Bill Suter had uh, started working, he the power, what is it, the, uh, fuck, what's it called? Uh, he basically worked for, like, the state government, okay. the housing authority. All right. And, uh, one of his things was, he was like, well, you know, like, I can't just 
miss time from this. This is an important job or whatever. So this Clyde guy somehow had a connection to the governor of New York and called him, and the governor agreed to like, oh, no, it's fine. Bill can <laughs> uh, have time off. He owed Clyde a favor. And he, yeah. yeah. So Bill got time <laughs> off from work. Like, I think – and yeah, and there was a lot of money. Man, I want to put a vacation in for work to go do a jetpack. Like, I'd love to be here, guys. Jetpack duty calls. Yeah. <laughs> Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. Yeah, so uh, he gets his time off work. He's going to get some money, and it's the Olympics. Yeah. So, yeah, so Bill's back in. Um, Bills are back in town. Two and a half billion people saw Bill Suter's flight. Wow. One of Suter's stipulations had been that Clyde purchase a sufficient insurance policy, but the belt needed repairs, and after raising $10,000 for the repairs, Clyde had no money for insurance. Suter found out after the flight. Oh, shit. And was fucking furious. How did he? He got fooled twice. Shame on him. <laughs> but the, uh, the actual flight at the Olympics? Yeah. Was a huge success. I'm sure it changed his life. I mean, I mean, he says it was like one of the greatest moments of his yeah. life because, yeah. But 2.5 billion. He found out, yeah, that no there was no insurance. He'd been lied to again, so he promised that he would never fly the Tyler Rocket Belt again. Yeah. Uh, after the Olympics, offers came pouring in to Tyler about purchasing the belt. Eventually, Tyler sold it to a theme park in Stockholm, Sweden. Gibson was employed by the park to fly their newly purchased belt, but after a few flights, Gibson had to return to the, U- the States to fulfill a stunt contract. Chuck and- Norris called, you fucking go <laughs> running. And without a uh, pilot, the park had no purpose for the belt. <laughs> like, look at the jetpack. Is someone going to fly it? No, no, no. But look at it. Yeah, so Gibson uh, knew the position they were in, Yeah. so he just offered to buy it from them. And they were like, yeah, fuck, sure. We got nothing else we can do with it. So now Gibson owns the Tyler rocket belt. (laughs) Uh, Gibson immediately realized that the price of compressed nitrogen was more than he was willing to pay. And that's like, yeah, so the compressed gas, the compressed oxygen and stuff, that's what they used. Compressed gas, sorry. Like, that's like the main. So, uh, but it was too, it was so expensive that he was not going to pay that. Uh, So he started using... Uh, scuba tanks huh. on his jetpack. Yeah. So, which is not great. Uh, he also bought cheaper. Uh, he bought cheaper H two O two, which I think is hydrogen peroxide, maybe, uh, from a German company. But it had stabilizing agents in it, making it highly unpredictable. During his first flight, the belt immediately sputtered out, and Gibson fell, breaking both his knee and the belt. Oh. He sued the German chemical company and won $250,000 in a settlement. Take that, Nazis! (laughs) As a result, chemical companies stopped selling H2O2 to individuals, a change that would affect all future rocket belt builders. Oh, man. This is why me and you don't have a rocket belt right now. Because of this motherfucker. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Gibson. Gibson. Uh, Canny. After recovering from his knee injury and repairing the rocket belt and building his own H2O2 lab, Gibson looked to his two friends, Brad Barker and Larry Stanley, for help. Uh, Brad Barker was a good-looking dude with charm and charisma, but also a volatile temper. Volatile temper. He was a wanderer who rarely kept a job for long. 
He had met Gibson back when he was 20, and the two were uh, best men in each other's weddings. Uh, they got into a few different ventures together. Barker bought a Cessna airplane, oh. and like they would fly around. Um, Gibson, while Gibson had been out in Hollywood becoming a successful stuntman, Brad had stayed behind in Houston, worked a bunch of shitty jobs, and got divorced. Brad had also that life, Brad. <laughs> Brad had also become obsessed with rocket belts yep. ever since he saw one in Thunderball. Oh. Now he was working on one with his best friend. So this was pretty fucking cool for Brad. That's the life he wanted. This is what he wants, man. Uh, Brad was you know, after divorce. He just wants something good in his life, just something positive, like something where he can be like, man, maybe like life isn't awful. Maybe it isn't terrible. Me and my best friend working on a jetpack. So you want to work on a jetpack? Yep. <laughs> Maybe this podcast is our jetpack. Jet <laughs> wow, man, that's that's deep. you lift me up, Josh. Let's uh, <laughs> let's change the name of this podcast again. Yes, to the jetpack <laughs> cast. Look, man, I haven't worked on the name yet. All right, okay, we gotta work on. We gotta it. work on that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Brad. Brad was proficient in working on the rocket belt. But for help with the compressed oxygen lab, Gibson turned to Larry Stanley. The three worked well together, but Larry was 10 years older and never became quite as close to the other two as they were with each other. Third wheel. However, they were friendly enough that Brad loaned Larry his Cessna plane on several occasions. However, once uh, he had loaned Larry the plane... And when he started trying to figure out where it was and he needed it, and it was like this, it had been, Larry had had it for yeah. a little while, and he was like, hey, man, what the fuck? He couldn't locate the plane. He couldn't locate Larry. <laughs> so he ended up contacting the authorities. According to Barker. Snitched on him? According to Barker. Damn. The FBI told him that Larry Stanley had long been a suspect, had long been suspected as a drug trafficker, and that his plane was probably loaded down with pot on it somewhere. Ah. It turned out the plane was in Seattle, and Larry had made a number of modifications to it. Like he, it's uh, a boat now. No, he added like, um, basically storage space for drugs. So it was very yeah. I mean, yeah. it was pretty obvious that it was being used for drug smuggling. Yeah. Uh, to retrieve the plane from the Seattle hangar, Barker would have to pay off a thirty thousand dollar bill for the modifications. And he didn't have that kind of money. He ended up just having to sell the plane and then use the money he made off the plane to pay off the bill. Damn. Which, I mean, I don't know if that, like, actually... So if you owe $30,000 to the plane, if your other option is to sell the plane just to be able to pay off not getting it, I'd just be like, I guess they have it now. Yeah, unless you get like fifty thousand for it, then you can still make twenty thousand. Well, I don't know what planes go for. Whatever he paid them after yeah. he sold it, whatever he paid them, he didn't have any money left. Oh yeah, so it. he was left with nothing. I'd be like, fuck it. Yeah, uh, Barker couldn't find Larry anywhere, so he was not cool with Larry Stanley anymore. <laughs> uh, Gibson and Larry had also had a falling out. Gibson had agreed to invest thousands of dollars into Larry's family's oil field in return for 50% of the profits. Larry Stanley ended up saying Gibson hadn't fulfilled his contract completely, so there would be no return on investment. The two terminated the contract and began to feud. So Larry has just quickly 
Pissing them off. Made himself uh, enemy number one in the yeah. jet, in the rocket belt game. In the early 90s, Gibson and Barker were still working together, but Gibson had traveled to the Philippines to do stunt work on a film. Barker received a phone call from Gibson's wife, Sherry. According to Sherry, Larry Stanley had broken into Gibson's storage unit in Houston and stolen some of the rocket belt equipment. Uh, turns out, Larry Stanley was also a really big fan of the rocket belt because he had seen it one time flown at a event he was at. So he's also obsessed (laughs) with the rocket belt. These guys need to get a life. (laughs) Uh, It's like they've never seen boobs. Barker immediately... (laughs) They are. Boobs are way better. (laughs) So much better. Uh, Barker immediately flew to Houston. Once there, (laughs) Barker... Barker called up a friend, a black belt karate instructor named Rob Fisher. Barker, Fisher, Sherry, and Gibson's two brothers drove out to the Stanley oil fields to find Larry. Instead, they found Bernie Robinson, a hired hand who had been a Navy steel. Stanley had warned him that trouble may be coming. According to Barker, as soon as they stepped out of their vehicle, uh, Robinson took a swing at Fisher and then ran for the ran for his car to retrieve a pistol. Oh, damn. But Barker claims, quote, Rob Fisher went into his karate routine <laughs> and in literally, in literally three or four seconds just beat the shit out of this Navy SEAL. Damn. According to Robinson, though, <laughs> he never actually even threw a punch. The four men just immediately knocked him to the ground. Yeah. And then three of them held him down while Barker stood over him with a baseball bat. He says that, that Barker began hitting him in the legs with a bat while asking, where's Larry Stanley? Robinson replied, he isn't here, which Barker said, replied with, that's a shame. I'm very upset with Larry Stanley, and I'd like to hit him some. <laughs> then Larry Stanley pulled up in his car. <laughs> Man, sometimes you wish for something, it just shows up. Stanley, said Barker, I'm going to ask you one time where Gibson's equipment is, and if you don't tell me, you're not going to like what happens. <laughs> Stanley took Barker to a storage unit where Barker recovered Gibson's equipment. Barker never mentioned the $30,000 debt due to the Cessna plane and instead just quietly packed up the equipment and took it back to California. Oh. Weird dude. Like, so no one even got Very loyal, though. I'm waiting for some murder here. <laughs> Barker and Gibson continued to work together on the rocket belt. Gibson won a contract to fly the belt on Michael, Jackson, Michael Jackson's bad tour. At the end of every performance, Gibson and MJ would switch places, and Gibson would blast off into the air, uh, creating the illusion that the King of Pop was flying. Gibson was paid $25,000 plus expenses for each flight. Bam. Making almost a million dollars from the tour. And this That's was, bad. So Barker's like helping him with the rocket belt. Like he's whatever. But Gibson's out here just making bank. Yeah. So cause he, knows how to, he knows how to pilot it. Yeah. And uh, and he's holding back a little bit of information, too. So he then won a contract to fly the jetpack at 20 different Disney World events. While performing for one of these events, Gibson accidentally damaged the belt. A piston, a piston in the belt shot out of one of the valves due oh. to high pressure and flew over Gibson's shoulder and lodged into a wall. Uh, the piston was the key to the rocket belt's design but it was severely damaged. So Gibson contacted Barker and asked him to get the piston to Houston immediately since it couldn't be repaired in Orlando. So Barker's there in Orlando. This happens. Uh, Gibson tells him, hey, you got to get to Houston. Like, there's specialists there that can fix this. 
You got to get it there. Got to get it back to me. Houston, we got a problem. By tomorrow. And Houston, we got a problem <laughs> in Orlando. Uh, Barker took the piston to Houston, but realized along the way how important this piece must be to the rocket belt design. Yeah. So he made sure to measure and record his dimensions. Like He studied the shit of this thing, wrote down everything he could about it. Uh, he had it repaired and returned in time for the performance and never let on about his newfound interest in the rocket belt now that he knew what its secret was. An old friend of Brad's showed up shortly after. His name was Joe Wright. He was just 29, but was a well-established and successful businessman. While visiting with Brad, he was thrilled that he was getting to check out the rocket belt. Brad and Joe were caught by Gibson uh, photographing and videotaping the belt. (laughs) Very, like, they were, like, definitely, like, doing it for research purposes. Uh, And he wasn't thrilled about it. He told them that the design of the belt was top secret. Wright and uh, he basically told Wright that he needed to get the hell out of there. Yeah. He didn't. He wasn't allowed in there. Uh, but he, he was get protective about their jetpack belts. He was still pretty cool with Barker, though. Yeah. They were friends. They'd been friends for a while. So other than the annoyance, uh, but Barker and Wright stayed in contact. A few weeks went by, and Wright received a phone call from Barker, who said he was having problems with Gibson. Barker often. Can he? Uh, yeah, Kenny. Hey, Kenny. Barker often brought his son to work, and Gibson was complaining that the kid disrupted their work. He told Wright that they had been arguing about this for a while, and that he could no longer work for Gibson. Wright drove to Orlando and brought ba- brought Brad and his son back to Houston. Barker immediately told Wright that he was going to build his own rocket belt. Ooh. He said that he had. He told Barker, or he told uh, Wright that he'd only been working with Gibson. For the money that uh, he had played along as long as he needed to to figure out how to work this thing. Yeah. And now that he knew, he was just going to build his own rocket belt. Fuck you, Kenny. Yeah. Uh, Fuck you and Chuck Norris. How about that? He knew the secret component of the belt and had been involved with it enough that he decided he could overcome the challenge of actually building one from scratch. Up to this point, only two people have ever actually built it. Um. What's his name back in the day? Moore? Yeah. And then Tyler. Yeah. So Tyler uh, Nelson. Tyler Nelson. Those are the only dudes that have actually built one. That took a lot of test runs. Everybody else just and... bought it or, like, got it somehow. Um, He, of course, had Wright on board, but knew the two of them still needed help and a financial backer. So he called Larry Stanley. Oh. Even though they had bad history, Brad felt that Stanley owed him anyway. So he contacted Stanley and told him that the oil field thing was all Gibson's deal. He also told him that he had a falling out with Gibson and that he had knowledge that would help them make a or help them build a rocket belt and they could make millions from it while getting back at Gibson at the same time. Larry was in. I love revenge. <laughs> yeah, Larry was Larry loves revenge. Yes. I know this. Uh He had his Larry had his doubts about Brad still though. After all, Brad had threatened him with a baseball bat and had attacked one of his employees just months before. Barker had his reservations about Stanley as well. He'd stolen his phone or he stolen his plane right. and Gibson's equipment and was likely involved in drug trafficking. Despite both men doubting the other, the allure of the rocket belt, the potential <laughs> money nerds, man. and being able to fuck over Gibson yeah. was enough for them to work together. Stanley told Barker that if he let him in on the rocket belt project, he would pay him back what he owed him for the plane. And the two made an agreement 
to start working together. And that is part one oh. of the jetpack murder. <laughs> it all it's all uh, so does it go really well from here? Like they <laughs> So <laughs> from here shit does not go well for anyone. <laughs> That's why I'm glad I never got that jetpack life. Never got in that jetpack nope. game. I've been thinking about it. It's I so weird that you brought this episode up. Have you ever watched uh you ever watched American Dad at uh, all? Not really. So there's a running joke through American Dad. Uh-huh. I don't know what season it starts in. But there's a uh so Roger, the alien yeah. of the show, there's an episode where he uh for I forget I don't know what happens, but he ends up like shitting behind in a bush. But it's like uh, this gold, like shit, and it's like encrusted with jewels and diamonds. What? So <laughs> then somebody finds it. Yeah. And like they're with somebody else. Like it's these two guys, like uh, uh, like some sort of uh, workers. Like they're there to repair something. Uh huh. And the one finds it, and like he just stares down at it, and it's like the glow of it's like glowing off his face. Yeah. And when the other one, like, comes over to ask him what it is, he ends up, like, murdering that guy. <laughs> well, so now throughout the series, like, so whatever season that was, like, yeah. it started in, like, two or three. The series is up to, like, season 15 at this point, I think, 14 or whatever. Well, just randomly throughout the series, somebody will, somebody will like, this thing keeps moving from person to person. Oh, yeah. And every time somebody new gets it, it drives them, like, they can't have anybody else around it. Yeah. And like they're whatever. And that's what this rocket that's belt the, <laughs> reminds me so much of. It's just like this precious rocket belt. I'm the one with the jet pack. Yeah. I have all the power. I can go 30 feet in the air. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I have to figure out how to test it first. If I don't break my knees. So yeah, it's just this, it gets, uh, this is weird. Well, there's a lot of money involved too. It sounds like, so it's... Uh, I mean, it seems like the person that controls the jet pack, <laughs> controls the state fair circuit. I'm allergic to jetpacks. And if you're controlling the state fair circuit, <laughs> yeah. you are wealthy. So, yeah. So, we will uh, be I back. I look forward to part two. Part two, yeah. yeah. Probably the conclusion. I think it, it should be. It's a long, it's a yeah. good story, but there's cool. a lot of fucking chaos. I'll on do it. three parts. Yeah. So, all right. We're so the jetpack podcast now. Yes. We've already decided that. I'll jetpack all the time. So, that's uh, that's part one. So, right. what do you got, man? You got some would you rather? I have some would you rather. Okay. You wrote a uh, ma'am at the top. Middle aged and mediocre. Oh, we're ma'am. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I don't know. I was going right. to do it like in the mad font, you know? Mm-hmm. Ma'am. All right, man. What do you got? All right. Would you rather? Have to write with your non-dominant hand, or never have any spaces in anything you read. Uh, I mean, me writing with my non-dominant hand is more somebody else's problem than mine. I, I like to write fast. I feel like I can't write fast with my left hand. Like the ideas come better, and oh. I, I think when I kind of can write. Fast. Oh yeah, I mean, I physically can't write with my left yeah. hand. I mean. <laughs> Uh, or never have spaces in anything. Yeah, you I just read. never have spaces in anything I read. It's so hard to read. That's be fine. All right. Yeah, I can read through shit. <laughs> Major choice. It was the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> you told me there was no get wrong this answers. one, and you're off the island. All right. Would you rather, if you get it wrong, only be able to get a gallon of gas at a time? Okay. Or drink everything out of a shot glass. I did the straw before, so this one's a little different. Well, I mean, my 20s, I already lived through the only <laughs> a gallon, only of, a gallon of gas at a time. Oh, I would have ate that. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, when you're digging out change. Then you're eating peanut butter, and you're like, oh, I just want some milk. And you just got to be like, so you a little really- shot of milk. That, I mean, you can keep pouring it. But every but drink, it has to be a shot. Yeah, you you drink it one shot at uh, a time. Super annoying. <laughs> Still, that's way better than having to just to stop, get out. Yeah. Get your fucking get the gas pump turned on. I think I'd rather do the gas thing. I'd rather do. The, I'd okay, rather I, do the shot thing. I used to before you. Oh, you'd rather do the shot thing. Yeah, man. Like that's a lot less pain in the ass. I feel. Yeah, you'd be getting gas like every fucking day, dude. Do you not like? Do you remember being like? I didn't really have a car until I was like twenty something. And I just feel like, I don't know, like, gas, I always did pretty good with I just gas. remember, like, even when I was, like, before, I mean, I got my license young, 12, 16, 17, right. however it is when you yeah. first get it. But, like, I mean, I remember riding around with, like, my buddies that had a car first, and they didn't have money either, so yeah. we were always just scrapping together, scraping together change. It was, like, a dollar something a gallon. If so. you could, and if you could get, like, a dollar's worth of gas, you were doing great. Yeah. So, yeah, I've already lived that life. So, you're going to do the shots. Yeah, I'll shot, do the shots. Shots, shots, shots. Yeah, that's fine. It's a pain right. in the ass, but I'll do that. that you was, drink. That was the right answer, so I'm glad you got like that you'd one you drink right. a lot less. Yeah, that's true. You would drink like, a lot less. Especially if you drink some, like, soda and shit like that. You wouldn't mm. drink as much of it. Pop. Soda pop. All right. Cold. Would you Would you rather never be able to watch the last 15 minutes of a movie or never be able to read the last chapter of a oh, book? Oh, man. <laughs> uh... Tough one. His head exploded. There's blood everywhere. Call the help. You know, okay, Call this, the help. This is actually not that hard. Okay. I would rather never, like, the last chapter of the book. You'd rather not be able to read the last chapter of any book? Yeah, because you know what the last chapter of any book always is? What? Just some random follow-up to yeah. the actual ending. That's true. Yeah, loophole. For the most part. Loophole. Yeah. But I think every now and then you might come to that book where the last chapter is something important. Yeah, I've I've read a lot of books. That last chapter is always just... I'm going to start. <laughs> I'm going to start. <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> yep. I have a Calvin and Hobbes I can loan you. Nah. That's a good start. Uh, well, that's it. That was the three of them. Yeah, I would. Because a movie, like, there's some shit that goes down in the last 15 yeah. minutes. Bruce yeah. Willis is dead that whole fucking time. Die Hard? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Die hard. John McClane was a ghost? <laughs> yep. Holy fuck. I just got it. <laughs> See? It really is a Christmas movie. Wow. <laughs> no, The Sixth Sense. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> I know you know. Oh, God. Uh, that was good. That'd be great if that was what... <laughs> like, somebody comes out, they're like, actually, all of Bruce Willis' movies, he's, always, he's, he's been dead the whole time. He's dead. Bruce Willis died in 1964. He dead. Yeah. The actual man. Bruce Will is dead. I don't know. Bruce Willie. Uh, so, yeah. I got a Bruce Willie. I don't <laughs> Take it easy, old man. Okay. You don't got to be so rough. Uh, next week, we'll be back with uh, part two. Yep. And then we might. Uh, we're going to start a new thing. If there's enough interest in it, um, our buddy Victor Lovett, uh, also known as Vic Victory. Vicious. Vicious. Vic, Vic Victory. Victory. Uh, he's got a ghost story that he wants to share. Yep. So we're going to figure out the best way to do that. But uh, I thought if there was enough interest and people were into it, mm-hmm. uh, every once in a while, if somebody has a story they want to share, they can send it in and... 
We'll read it. If it's mediocre enough. Right. All you, I mean, all you got to do is it's just we set a low bar. <laughs> Very low. But, yeah, it could be like a – I mean, if there's a true crime story that yeah. you think is particularly awesome. There's a lot of dick in it. That's going to help your, your – your, your, <laughs> Look, the more opportunity for pee hole. Yeah. Ooh, oh. Imagine, like, uh, if you your pee hole could force out enough propulsion that if you just, like, lay oh. on your stomach, you could jetpack jet pack up. yourself up. Yeah. I'm gonna try it. Jetpack myself off. <laughs> I'm gonna try it. See this episode is right you? here, right here, <laughs> right here, right now, right here in your well, room. This is never gonna. This podcast, <laughs> this episode is never ending. Oh, I'm just gonna start. I can't. I can't handle that. I'm just gonna start. Uh, but yeah, so that should be kind of cool. We got a Vic sent me the audio. Uh-huh. Uh And I started listening to the story. It's pretty good. Cool. But I think we might have him send it to me so I can read it. Because the audio is a little weird. Yeah. I just don't know how it's going to play out. Of, but yeah, so if you guys have like. Start uh, typing, Vic. Yeah, start, start getting your fingers working. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so what was I talking about? Oh, so we might start doing that. We'll see yeah. how it goes, see if there's any interest in it. Yeah. But I think that'd be kind of cool if we could get like a little uh, community going where everybody's sharing stories. A little interaction. Yeah, and eventually, once I get a better podcast space, uh-huh. uh, I, want, I was talking to you about it. Bring some people in. Yeah. See if don't they can, let them leave. Don't let them leave. Nope. May, basically, we're going to make a dungeon. Yep. So, cool. that's kind of cool. I like it. Then we'll start a dungeon podcast. <laughs> cool. Dungeon of uh, Doom. We're going to have 14 podcasts <laughs> by the end of this year. Woo! 2020. So, hey, if you guys uh, dig the podcast, uh, if you want to help support us, there's a few ways you can do that. You can share uh, and like all of our stuff on... Uh, Spotify, you can, uh, I guess, if you hit the favorite thing or yeah. if you just listen to you it, it helps it. us. Yep. Yeah, uh, share the links, though. Tell your friends. There's a button on anchor.fm backslash middle-aged mediocre uh, where you can support the podcast. And I believe it's like a dollar, uh, $2, $5, yeah. whatever it is. Uh, if anyone does that, I will draw you a monster. Ooh, uh, cool. I like have like uh, these little uh, brown paper bagish type index cards. Yeah, and I'll draw you. Awesome. I'll draw you like a personalized monster. We got shirts and stuff. We got so, so Joel's been working diligently yeah. on uh, the middle wage media shirts. We've already got a few people claiming them. Yeah, but we're gonna keep making them. So if anybody wants one of those, uh, if you go and support the podcast, you will definitely get a shirt. But if you just want a shirt, let us know. Yeah. Uh, if you want to give us a few bucks for it, that'd be badass. Yeah. If you don't, you just wearing wear it. it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So support us, we appreciate it. Yeah. Please just tell people about it. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, um, listen to it in public and laugh. Yeah. And then when people ask you what you're listening to, tell them. That'd yeah. be a good way to do it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just let people listen to random bits about decapitated uh, heads <laughs> and people eating penises. Sure. Yeah. Anything Play else? for your grandma. Uh, uh, listeners, go out and find your own personal jetpack, whatever it is. Yeah, man, whatever it just is. just let it kill you. <laughs> and obsess over it. Write a story about it and won't read it. Until <laughs> bad things happen. Yeah. Uh, quick shout out to our buddies, uh, one of our one of our top listeners, top fans. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Fool. Oh, yeah, Brandon Fool. Uh, Brandon and Remington Hitchcock do a really great podcast called Dueling Ogres. You guys can check that out. Uh, it's one of my uh, go-tos whenever I'm at work and need something to 
get me through. Yeah. The, those two dudes are pretty hilarious. They've got 160 some episodes. Yeah, crazy like that. To, yeah. So yeah, we were checking out one earlier. Uh, so yeah, go support them as well. And I think that's all I got, man. You got a comedy show coming up or anything? Nope. Nope. Nothing coming up. You just kind of been doing random ones, right? Yeah. Like you just been here and there. hitting up last minute. Yeah. Yeah. So exciting. But you know, whatever you can follow. Uh, what's it on Facebook? Parkersburg Comedy. Yeah, Parkersburg. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do have a. <laughs> I have a open mic coming up March sixteenth, Stone Cold Day in Marietta. Oh yeah, that's Iowa. right. Yeah. yeah. Stone. Yeah. Writers Workshop March eleventh at the library. Which library? The like Wood County. Yeah, Wood County okay. Library. So on Lakeview. Yeah, we're doing that. I forgot. I'm pretty stoked for that. Yeah. I, I have no idea what we're actually what that I is. I don't but, either. But what, is, what time is it? Uh, Seven o'clock at the library on the eleventh. And then 7 o'clock at uh, Adelphia in Marietta on the 16th for the open mic. And that's a free show, right? Yeah. 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 So, theoretically, you can come to the writer's workshop, work on some jokes, and then, you know, test them out on stage five days later in Marietta. Yeah. So there that's you go. pretty cool. But, yeah, free comedy show. Yeah. March 16th, yep. Stone Cold Day. March, uh, Marietta, the Marietta Adelphia. Adelphia. So, Adelphia is a pretty cool venue. That's Love awesome it. that you're going to get to do. You'll be able to do an open mic there. So, yeah, uh, that is it for us tonight, guys. Thanks for listening, as always. And we will be back next week with uh, part two of the Jetpack Murder. Cool. Bye.